0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: Good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. This is Rachel Marshall, along with Bruce Weiner. And special guest returning for a second time, and that is Gary Boomershine. Gary, welcome to the show.
2: Ah, it's a pleasure. And I have to apologize; I've been traveling like crazy. I know that we've rescheduled this multiple times, and I'm super excited. I think we'll have a lot of fun today, and hopefully, I can deliver some really uh, good value to all of your loyal followers.
1: And, uh, awesome. Have some fun. Awesome. Well, no need to apologize. We understand that the world is um, a little bit unconventional right now. And just thank you for being able to join us for this conversation at short notice as well. So here's where we're going in today's conversation. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Gary and a little bit of why we're having this conversation and especially why we're having it right now. So first, we talked before about Gary and really how you founded realestateinvestor.com back in 2005. And you looked at the need to scale and grow your own real estate investing and your home buying business. And so that not only catapulted and really launched your investing, but you will also help other people to not just be operators in their business, but to scale their real estate businesses. And so we can talk about that a little bit as well today. That was kind of the focus of our last show with you. Now, something else that was very near and dear to your heart is the types of ways that you can fund real estate investing. And private lending came up as this thing that was something that's very interesting to you and kind of the direction that you were saying is kind of a a sweet spot or something that's really, really compelling. So we want to dig in today to what exactly is private lending. And then we're also going to talk about what, if how, and if how, can infinite banking be used or what? how does infinite banking relate to private lending? And what is a family economy? Specifically, what does it mean to have a family unit of finance that is working together, using everyone's strengths, and continuing on not just today for the wealth that you might be building in your lifetime, but generationally? Now, that is a giant concept, but let's go ahead and jump in first to... Gary, tell, talk to us about private lending. Why are you using it, and why is it so important to you right now?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I, um, I, I look at the food chain. It's like if we look at what are the biggest buildings on every street corner in the world. They're not, you know, rehabbers or real estate companies. Okay, you got a few of them, but you're not going to see like a flip, you know, a flipper or, or a rehabber. The, big, the biggest buildings on every street corner in every part of the world are banks. Mm-hmm. So why? Because their business model works. And most people don't even understand the concept of banking because we've been, you know, you got producers and consumers and we've actually, we've, we've been trained and indoctrinated to really be a, a cog in the system. And so I've always, you know, it's really easy. You, you can, you know, we talk about the Federal Reserve. It's really easy to go down a lot, a lot of rabbit holes and um and look at the federal reserve because they print money it's made out of debt it's not it's not backed by anything Mm -hmm. and it's really easy to vilify right the banks. but it's like you know what the business model works how can we look at things and act like a banker Mm -hmm. right and i and and years ago i actually created i had a huge education business called the banker's code um that model doesn't really work i think it's going to work here very soon, but it was around rehab lending, around how actually we kind of probably trained 1,500, 2,000 people on how to actually do what the banks do and do rehab lending, which means lend money, possibly not even ours, and do what the banks do using what's called hypothecation. And I won't go into that, but I love lending. See, you can buy a property, you can buy the physical asset. Um, and owning real estate is, it's really a finance game. Um, it's a finance game because you're borrowing money typically, right? You're borrowing money at one rate. Um, you're typically, you know, you're making, you're you're making a spread. You might Mm -hmm. be renting the property out and you look at all of your costs and you're making a spread, but the banks are fixed, right? The, if, if I kind of look at a real estate investor versus a banker. I used to have, I wish I had a piece of paper because this is it actually really easy to do. If I took, if I took a piece of paper and I drew a line down the middle and on the left hand side, I put the hardworking real estate investor. And on the right hand side, I put the banker or private lender. And I looked at what do they each of them do? A real estate investor, in order to make money, they first have to go and they have to go learn all about real estate. They got to go to seminars. They've got to figure out, okay, how do I make money and how do I buy property and all that stuff? They have to go and find the deals. Typically, mm-hmm. a lot of people right now have to do direct mail. So they're buying systems. They're having to do postcards. They're spending money and um, systems, right? To do all the follow-up, probably have to hire a team. So then they start getting some deals or, or leads coming in, right? And then they have to go and <clears throat> what I call kissing a frog. They got to go yep. talk and make off a lot of offers in yep. order to get one to stick. And then once they have that great deal that they're ready to buy, now what do they do? Now they have to go find the money.
3: Either yep, they have the their capital. own money. They
2: have to... So what do they do? They go over to the banker, right? And who writes the rules for finance? Is it the hardworking real estate investor? No, it's always the lender. Mm-hmm. So now the lender says, hey, I want to see all your credit. I want to tie up all your assets. You got to come up with a down payment. If you default, and so you you know give away your firstborn child, and then once you have the property, who actually pays? Who gets who gets paid first? Is it the is it the hardworking real estate investor? It's the bank. The bank always gets paid first. Mm -hmm. See what happens? People don't realize that the lenders, the, the the lender or the banks, look at real estate investors as basically they look at them as um a a cog they look at them as the worker because people don't realize a real estate investor goes and finds a physical asset they got to put a down payment right all their assets do all the hard work and they're the last to get paid a lender literally prints a piece of paper okay and as long as they've got somebody that's signing on the dotted line they use that as the collateral to go get their money. See, banks don't even, banks by law can't even lend their own money. In fact, people don't even realize this. A bank by federal law cannot offer depositors money and they can't create credit. So it's like, oh my gosh, how does a bank even do it? A bank actually is, isn't even using their own money. They're using the piece of paper as a way to collateralize and then they go get it from somebody else. So how do we do the same thing? And you know, so I look at lending and saying, How can I look and do what the banks do? I love real estate, but I want to you know, it's it's less risk, right? The borrower, the, the the owner of the property, they have to come out with the down payment. That's right. So if the prop if the value of the property goes down, it doesn't really matter. So the more down payment, the lower the risk for the bank, the less mm-hmm. down payment, the more risk. So what I do, if I've got money and I've got some capital, what i like to do is I actually like to do what the bank does. And and, it, and, and so I'll, I'll, and I, I'm not talking to the borrowers. I'm going out to a hard money broker uh, or a private money broker. These are people that are lending on real estate, uh, usually to other real estate investors. And they're bringing me the deal flow because private money lenders typically also don't use their own money they're using people like us. So if you have an infinite banking system or if you've got cash sitting in a bank account, right? That's getting zero interest, I can go and put that to that, that I can go put that to work. I'm usually in fir- I'm always in first position. First position means there's nobody like I'm like Bank of America. I don't I don't like doing second position because that you could be wiped out. We can talk about that. But in first position um I am secured by that great piece of real estate and I'm getting a fixed interest rate. Typically, I'm usually getting like, I'm usually getting anywhere from eight and a half percent and sometimes as high as 10%. Um, some people can get higher than that. <laughs> if the, the, I usually am, I'm, I want at least 30% down payment. Usually, even in this current market right now, I'm usually getting like, I, I'm funding a deal right now. A two hundred thousand dollar loan with a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar down payment. So the borrower is buying a property; they're putting three hundred and fifty thousand in cash down, right? Huge. So the market, the market can go down by fifty percent, sixty percent, and I'm still covered, and I'm getting eight and a half percent interest only as passive income. So my downside on something like that is the market completely collapses. Right. And I got to foreclose on the property and then I get the real estate. Now I own the real estate at 40, 45 cents on the dollar. Right. So that's why I love, I love, I love lending. And I'm always putting, and, and people, people are like, oh my gosh, how do I go find these? It probably takes me about an hour per deal to fund. So because somebody else, if the private money or hard money broker is out there talking to borrowers, they are, Filling out all the paperwork. They're licensed typically, licensed brokers. Like I'm in California, I love being in like my local market. They are physically meeting with, you know, they're seeing the house, they're getting the appraisal. And so I'm not doing any of the work. I just wire transfer the money. I get, you know, my security. Instead of owning the property, which is a deed, I'm getting I'm owning the pro- I'm getting my security as the deed of trust. And in all the years I've been doing this um, in first position, or I should say, I've had a couple that have gone sideways, never lost money, by the way, doing this. Um, I have had a zero default, not a single default in probably eight years on lending money. Why? Because the borrowers put up so much down payment. They're taking all the risk. I'm getting a nice return. So, so Gary. Anyway, I, I love. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I I really can see and hear where you're not only a real estate investor who's boots on the ground, going and looking at the property, buying the property, investing capital to fix up the property, getting the renter. You're now saying, let's look at real estate investing from a completely different lens of being the bank that provides the capital for someone else to have the house. And so let's just ask a hypothetical question. Does somebody have to go from real estate investing boots on the ground to your position through a series or a progression, or can somebody just start with private lending? And what's required to do private lending besides having cash that's at least sufficient to cover those loans?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Here's the one requirement right now. Okay, now in a few years from now, once the market turns, um this will not even be a requirement because usually you can do this in a down market like we had in 2009, 2010. Very rarely did I even use any of my own money. I always, I basically, I was doing what's called a hypothecation. So I had a lot of people that had IRAs and infinite banking systems and they had the money and I would take a spread. But the one requirement right now is, and how lending would work is if you have money. So, if you've got, I I would say you probably want $100,000 or $200,000 or more to basically start lending. See, a lot of investors get into real estate investing because there is an opportunity to make money literally out of thin air. Um, You know, there's wholesalers that can actually, they're not even really real estate investors, but you can make money in real estate without any money. In lending, you do need money. And, um, and so and that I flows think it not to cut you off,
1: but that whole idea that you can't be the bank if you haven't built capital. I mean, the bank has to capitalize first before they have the ability to become a bank and be a, a lender. So right. you're doing the same thing in your own life. If you want to become a private lender, you have to capitalize first.
2: Yeah. So and I think it 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 really makes it a lot easier right now in this current market to have some money. Now there is a way, and the way like I have money. I have a lot of, you know, over the years, I have a lot of people that love, they don't want to do anything. They just want to get a really good return. So I've got a lot of, like, I've got a a group that I go skiing with every year. There's like 50 guys. They're mostly doctors and lawyers. By the way, most doctors and lawyers are the worst investors uh, ever. They spend a ton of money. They have these huge lifestyles, but they they don't know how to invest. And so a lot of these investors, they typically are getting like three and a half to four percent. And so some of them, they're like, gosh, Gary, if I could get a 6% return, that would be fantastic. So in some some cases, I'm getting a spread. I'll lend at 8.5%. Um, I'll put some of my money in, but they'll kind of piggyback on my loans, and I'm getting a spread on their money. So I can get a 2%. Now, back in 2009, I got much bigger spreads because I would be lending at 12% interest, and they would be getting... 6% or 7%. So I'd be getting a 5% spread on their money. I, I don't think it works that well in this current market because money's pretty cheap right now. So most lending, uh, especially conservative lending that I think that we should all be doing in this current market, because I do think we're sitting on a bubble market, um, it really helps to have your own money. But I love, I love it because it's also lending is a hedge, what I consider probably one of the get the best hedges against a, uh, a bubble market because a, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting a, I've got a huge cushion because I'm lending in first position. These borrowers are coming out with a huge amount of equity or down payment that's backing the property. I'm getting a great return of eight and a half percent to 10%, you know, nine and a half, eight and a half to 10% interest. It's fixed because I'm getting payments. They're fixed interest payments on a monthly basis. So every single month on the first, sometime between the first and the 10th, I'm getting a wire transfer. So no work. And if the market completely implodes, my downside is I'm going to own the property and I'm going to own it free and clear. So, um, and as a real estate investor, it's like, you know, where can you go right now and buy properties at 40 or 50 cents on the dollar? Nowhere right so when i'm in when i'm doing lending today i'm here's my requirement would i be happy if a if the market imploded and we saw a huge drop in the value okay. um and maybe the property like the, there was an earthquake in california and there was damage to the property and i had to take that property back would i be okay with it that's kind of my lending requirements right now which is kind of a no brainer and um and I'm getting an eight and a half percent. So I love, I'm still buying property, closing on three right now, actually two more just closed on one uh, that I bought as a, as a, uh, went in with my in-laws, part of the family economy. But we're turning, I, I'm turning most of those into Airbnb rentals right now because of the market and what's going on with the Airbnb. But when I have cash, I'm always putting it back into, into loans. So worst place for me, from my perspective in this market is having cash in the bank. I think that's probably one of the riskiest places (laughs) given the market and what's going on. So, um, you know, I think we're going to see, we're going to see some changes going forward. And I think that real estate is probably, we're going to see, I think we're going to see a little bit of a downturn, but I think with massive inflation, I think we want to be holding physical assets, either owning property or having credit loan, loan.
0: Yeah. For one thing to consider in all of this is the one downside to all this, the potential downside is lack of liquidity. So that a person does need to have some, some money or at least the ability to have money and liquidity. And a lot of people that I run into, especially real estate investor, Gary, and you certainly run into a lot more of them, they say, well, I got my HELOC. So if I need, I can always turn to my HELOC. But I don't know how you were during the 2008, 2009 you know, downturn. A lot of the banks actually eliminated those HELOCs because they're not contractually guaranteed. So they can cut you off of those HELOCs at any time that they want. So having it, you, I think our listeners have to realize that getting money to work is very important for you. But also, you have to understand that there are some cases that the reason you are getting these nice returns in private lending is because of the lack of liquidity. Uh, Because things that you can get uh, safety, growth, um, and access or liquidity. Those three things are what you're looking at in every investment you do. Safety, growth, and liquidity. You can't get all three in in every investment so i just want our listeners to realize that you have to evaluate that and Mm -hmm. and even though we're saying in a inflation environment you want to get your money out there working for you not sitting you really need to evaluate and have some liquidity you know at a time of crisis absolutely
2: yeah i'm not a big fan i have a lot of people that um that i coach um that and actually even over the years that have come and said, hey, I've got this incredible HELOC capability where I can borrow money at 2.5% interest. And what do you think if I took that money and I put it into lending? I'm not a huge fan of that, especially right now. Um, I think this is probably more an infinite banking system. If you've got an infinite banking system, I think it's absolutely phenomenal um, to get a really good rate of return. Um, in some cases, if you've got a, like I've got a four, a self-directed 401k. that's primarily what I'm doing with my 401k. I've got two types of 401ks. I've got my standard 401k, um, right where it's deferred taxes until I'm older, and then I've got my raw. And typically, I love using my standard to get a nice fixed interest return because it's t- pretty much tax deferred. And then when I'm investing in things where I'm going to get a bigger pop. I'm usually using my Roth. Like I'm, at, as the, so I think that's a great place instead of keeping it in stocks and bonds. I don't like anything on Wall Street, especially right now. Um, I have no confidence in that. But I love buying properties. Um, I like, I'm, I'm buying most of the properties right now free and clear, by the way. I think a part of us should all have free and clear properties with where the market's going and this whole concept that United Nations and World Economic Forum around this great reset, everybody should be aware of what they're saying our lives look like in 2030, where we won't mm-hmm. own any property. So I want to own property. I want as much of it free and clear. And then I I love uh, the lending. It's like, I just don't want the ability of getting wiped out. But
3: mm-hmm. so the
2: chances of getting wiped out in having a first position loan is About as close to zero as possible. There was a, this is back in 2007, um, where they ended up doing the analysis of lending on our, some of our portfolios. And they came back and said the risk is about the same risk or even lower than like owning a bond. So it's, you know, I, I like it because it's, you get great returns. Where do you get eight and a (laughs) half percent? Where do you get almost no risk or low risk? And also as a hedge where if the market completely implodes, I may be owning real estate free and clear.
0: Yeah, we cannot, we can't, you know, all this that we talk about on the show is for educational purposes. And so we have disclosures that say, you know, we're not endorsing any of this kind of stuff and so on and so forth. But if you do, if you do education, uh, there are lending programs out there. Some are called business development corporations. Where they actually do the same concept, but they lend to small businesses. Um, and you're in the first position there also if there's any liquidation situation. And what's interesting is some of the ones we represent, um, you know the rate of return is about nine percent. The historical rate of return in the stock market, depending on what time period you're talking about, is nine point two percent. However, for that additional point two, you increase the risk three times to get that additional 0.2%. and those are the things that people have no idea of all these outside private alternative investments that are out there that a person can be involved in. now there are some restrictions on some of this you have to be an accredited investor sometimes you only have to be a or you can be a sophisticated investor but there are some now that have trickled down since since the, uh, the Tax and Jobs Acts of 2017 for non-accredited investors. So I just want to encourage our listeners to reach out to people to look at non-traditional things that you could be doing to, for whomever you turn to when you're trying to make these decisions.
2: Uh, absolutely. Gosh, going back to your, the risk, the increase in risk, um, it's the same thing in lending, by the way. So to i'm at an eight and a half percent the 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 for me to get to the ten percent return, so a lot of people will will do lending and they'll lend with almost no down payment so a lot of these real estate investors they're buying properties and they'll fix and flip and so somebody might get ten eleven or twelve percent interest, but the level of risk increases tenfold
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, i I wish I had an exact number so i would much prefer, I like to sleep at night. I don't like to lose money. I like to have as close to a sure thing as possible. So I would much prefer, especially in this market, uh, in a euphoric real estate, you know, bubble. Like I think real estate is going to definitely skyrocket over time, but I think we're going to be heading into a period of time where we're not going to see the same sort of phenomenon that we're seeing. You know, every, everybody's in real estate, right? We sold, we unloaded, we unloaded most of our portfolio, including our primary residence. And we ended up going $300,000 over pre COVID. We got a $200,000 over asking price offer. We had like 16 people come in and bid. My sister just unloaded a property in California as well. They put it on the market at 1.45, and they, they're closing in two weeks at 1.84. Mm. So I, I, I think that that's going to change here. And uh people need to be able to write it out for 18 months. So I I go back to that risk. I would much prefer to be in a safer position, right? Um, get a little bit of a lower return. I mean, eight and a half percent is pretty darn good. The other thing um I wanted uh, I was gonna share, this is on lending. A lot of people are like, How do I get into it? Um it's not hard to learn, but there are some rules. So you think the banks Are always the way a banker, the banks always are looking at the downside. Investors, especially real estate investors, are almost, and this is my experience over years, they're always looking at the upside. They think the market's going to go up, they underestimate the vacancies. So you always want to think of your investment from the way a banker thinks of the downside. And so I think one of the most important things as a lender is. You want to know what your, your criteria is and never break the rules. So for instance, one of my rules, I only invest in first position right now. So first position, it means like you have a first position loan and then a second position, you know, uh, uh, if, if a property, if, if a loan is not paid, you could actually be completely wiped out. You can't be wiped out in first position. The second is I want to, sizable down payment I want skin in the game from the borrower so and and you know a couple of years ago the borrower could come in with 10% down because we were in an up market right we've
3: Mm -hmm. the the market
2: was going up right now I see a lot of risk and pressure so I want a big down payment so I went from 10% uh, down payment to 20% down payment now I'm closer to like I want a 40 to 50 to 60% down payment and a lot of people are like how do you find those well you typically you build a relationship with somebody that's out there doing it full time and those are called those are brokers they're hard money brokers or private lenders they're they're everywhere they're in almost every market um they're the ones they make they make their money by funding deals filling out paperwork they charge point points and in interest and uh typically a servicing fee so i uh so that would be I also where the property is located is a big deal for me. I want a property that I know is in a reasonable neighborhood, uh, not a potential bubble market. So as an example, I funded in California uh two properties in um Carmel. So Carmel, California, that's where Pebble Beach is at. So it uh it was a uh, an individual that owned a one point eight million dollar house, uh free and clear. And he was buying another property with the idea that they were going to end up, they were downsizing. They Mm. wanted to buy this other property. And so we ended up, I think it was at like 30% loan to value, which means 70% opportunity. There was a 70% margin for the market to go down. And I got eight and a half percent. That was a nine month loan. And it was probably an hour worth of work, a broker. So, so having your criteria always thinking of the downside. Uh, The other one is I would never try to, you always want it secured, which means you always want a promissory note and a deed of trust or mortgage. And I never fill out the paperwork myself. I always want a licensed broker or an attorney to do all the paperwork. Um, There's usury laws and other types of laws uh, and, and guidelines. And so I would, I, was, I I know a lot of people will say, oh, I'm going to try to make some points and, and charge some extra fees and I'm going to do the paperwork myself. And that is an opportunity for huge risk. So mm-hmm. always go with a licensed broker or an attorney who fills out the paperwork. I always want to n- make sure that that deed of trust always has a lender's policy just like when you buy a real estate property you get a, a, a homeowner and fire insurance right homeowner and fire insurance i want a lender's policy because if the property burns down or goes away i'm the first to get paid
3: just mm-hmm. like the bank
2: so you always follow the rules and i never break the rules
0: so gary mm-hmm. how uh how does this relate so i know a lot of people out there because we we have a lot of different lending programs uh, with our broker-dealer, um, but how does this relate to the fact that there are some restrictions by the banks that you can only have so many loans um, before they, they, they basically say, we can't allow any more loans at this rate because of guarantees that they're getting from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, you know, so on and so forth. So then, because a lot of people are probably saying, well, that doesn't make any sense. If the person's putting all that money down, why aren't they just going to a bank and getting a lot more, a lot uh, cheaper loan, but there's restrictions on that once you're getting so many properties. Is that correct?
3: It is.
2: In fact, my brother-in-law, I'm actually here in Houston, and uh, we had a couple of uh, major tornado warnings a couple of, some hour ago. So hopefully the alarms don't go off, but my brother-in-law has worked for Chevron his whole life and uh, only invested, right? The traditional route, and he's now retired. So he was asking me the same question. He goes, Gary, if I could, these guys can just go get a great loan at a bank. Why would they pay eight and a half or nine percent interest? So, um, and are there a lot of these? Well, I'm working with one broker that has 120 million dollars of these loans out in one area of California. There, there is, there's billions and billions of dollars worth of hard money. Uh, loans out there might even Hmm. be trillions.
3: So why
2: would, why would somebody, um, put a huge down payment and pay this type of interest? Well, first off, to go get a conventional loan, you can't own more than four properties. So a lot of, there's a lot of landlords, there's a lot of investors out there that are, you know, they've got portfolios and they have more than four properties. So that's number one. Number two is they, Um, they, they, you know, you have to have a W-2, like a standard job in order to qualify for most of these loans. So a lot of these people, and especially if you're an investor, most of us investors hate paying taxes, right? We love taking advantage of the IRS and the tax code, right? And so we don't have normal, they don't have normal W-2 jobs and they work for the man. And, um, and so they can't go and just get a normal loan. Um, the other, like we were, I was, I funded a loan couple. This is about a month ago. There's a lady, beautiful house, um, in California, uh, actually on the water in the, what they call the Delta House was valued at, uh, about 800,000 and she's going through a divorce. The house was free and clear, so she wanted to borrow, uh, a little less than 50%, but she wanted about $320,000 to pay off her husband. And what she was gonna do, and by the way, they were going through a divorce and she couldn't get a normal loan because there was a big lawsuit. So if anybody's mm-hmm. fighting a lawsuit or what have you, um, and there's any complications, they can't get a normal loan. So her goal was to borrow three hundred and twenty thousand, eight and a half percent interest, and then in six to twelve months, she was gonna just refinance out. Mm-hmm. And um and there's a lot of those. So it's not necessarily somebody's buying the house, they may actually They may have a free and clear house. They may, a lot of people, they've got a bunch of assets, they're free and clear, but they want to go buy another one. And so they can, and give you another example, like especially in California, a lot of these hot markets. Like if you're going and making an offer in a hot market and and you're putting a contingency to get a, a loan versus somebody that comes in with all cash. So a lot of people that are buying. And properties, they want to be able to make an offer for all cash. Well, you can do that using a hard money broker. You can come in and say, hey, I'm going to basically come in and, and buy it all cash versus, you know, a loan contingency. Mm. A, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of hard money loans can be funded in seven days. I was just going to ask what days. the
1: turnaround time is. That's, that's fascinating. So you're getting the information from the private money broker and turning it around on your end within seven to 10 days.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I would say probably most of the loans that I'm funding right now, I get the paperwork. I'm making a decision usually within hours as to whether I'm going to fund the loan. Of course, I'm going to do some of the due diligence, make sure that everything is is tight. I'm usually making a decision pretty quickly. and I'm usually funding within three to seven days via a wire transfer. So the wire transfer Mm -hmm. is always going to escrow. Or to if you're in a, a, a an attorney state, you're going to wire transfer it to the attorney. You never you never fund direct, right? That's one of the rules. You know, make it keep it simple, stupid. You follow the rules, you don't run into problems. And um, always just I want the standard paperwork. I always want to see the recorded note or the recorded deed of trust. So you know, through the escrow company, once everything my mon- my money gets wired. And then, when the escrow or title company closes, they're going to give me a copy of that recorded instrument. So I know that I'm secure. Um, One other, I know I'm giving a lot. This is.
1: No, Gary, this is really helpful, I think, for somebody who is considering this as an option to really say, how do I get my money working more for me? But how do I think through? I mean, you just shared at the top that you can get great returns it's easy. There's not a lot of hassle. There's not, you know, the whole tenants, termites and toilets situation. You're not doing that. This sounds awesome. But I think as you're continuing to just talk through what what the process looks like and what the rules are that you need to follow and what the risks can be if you don't do things correctly, I think that's truly what somebody really needs to hear to be able to think through, does this fit for me? And if so, how do I need to approach this whole conversation? because it's not just um, you know, understand it briefly as a high level overview and then get started. you really need to make sure you're doing it correctly, it sounds like
2: Yeah, absolutely. and the other the other thing is there are some funds out there or syndications where you can invest in a uh, like a fund, right, where the fund is actually doing all the lending, and so What's recorded on title might be, you know, such and such fund. I don't like that. I don't do that. I'm probably more risk averse because I've seen some of those blow up. I like to do what's called individual trustee investing. Okay. Which means I want my name or my 401k or my incident banking system or my, uh, my personal name or LLC that's actually physically on the note and the deed of trust. So when it gets recorded, I know that it's me and it's not some other fund because there's potential co-mingling and everything else. So that's just one of my rules. Um, I do know some people will, will, will invest into a fund that's like a hundred million, right? And they have a first, you know, a piece of the pie and they're getting a return, but I don't really like that. I think individual trustee investing is simple, right? It's my name on the property. I know what I'm going to get. Um, so that's a big one. Uh, two other things that I will um, I'll also share. Uh, a lot of people talk about the liquidity. They're like, well, if I'm lending, sometimes I'll lend, and the term might be three to ten years. So it doesn't have to be. A lot of a lot of these private money loans are, you know, a one-year term, which means there's a, a balloon payment, or you know, the loan is due in 12 months. Um, Sometimes they're three years, sometimes they're ten years. They're typically interest only, which I prefer. I don't want the principal back. I want I want I want my passive income. But when I'm doing first position, and I I've, I've, I'm you know I'm in a, let's say 50% of the value, and I want the money back. I literally pick up the phone and call my broker and say, Hey, I'd like to see if I could actually sell that loan. I've done this. I, I've done this a bunch of times. And these loans are pretty darn liquid because there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that like 8.5% interest and they've got a huge coverage, right? It's a super low risk. And what happens is the other investor will wire transfer the money, my, the, the money that I want, and I will fill out a substitution document that basically substitutes just like if, if, you, how many times we have a loan with Wells Fargo or Bank of America and we, it changes one lender to the next. It's a physical mm-hmm. piece of paper that gets recorded. So my money is super liquid too. So I, I get a good return. If I need that money, usually I can get it back pretty quickly, especially if you're, you know, you got a huge, uh, loan coverage. If the loan to value is, is low enough. That makes sense. Oh, so Gary, um, you know, go ahead. The only, The only thing people ask, what are what are some of the negatives? Um, So two negatives. One is, you know, the interest that you get, unless you are using your infinite banking system or you're using your 401k, you are going to get a 1099. So it is 1099 int. So I'm I'm gonna it's going to be taxable um, unless I'm using a tax deferred or uh, a tax vehicle, tax safe vehicle, and and then I'm also not getting the appreciation, right? So if somebody owns the property and they physically own it, they're going to get the appreciation. I'm just going to get the fixed income. So those are the two negatives. Um, but given the market, I, I, for all the reasons I said, I like holding both. I want to own property and I want to have, I want to have a fixed income off of. Um, uh,
1: Do you have a recommendation so- or a personal preference for what percentage of your real estate investing is? Direct where you own the property and you're getting that appreciation versus how much you're using with private lending?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I, I'm more around my, my capital, right? If I've got capital in the bank that's sitting there, um, I prefer to get that money working and getting some velocity off of that money. And so I, I will get that money working for me. So, um, but in terms of like the percentage of the portfolio, um, you know, I'm closing on a couple of properties right now, so I'm pulling a little bit of money out of my lending, but i don't I don't know if i it's more around how much capital do I have.
0: So okay. I have my
2: operating capital that runs our business that keeps you know everything operational, and then the extra capital that I have, I'm always getting it to work for me
3: um, so so That's I don't a good have question the answer so- for that.
1: That's okay. Um so let's kind of shift gears a little bit and we're almost towards the end of this conversation here and we can certainly have you back just to unveil and kind of flesh out some more spe- specifically on the family economy side but how do you personally think about infinite banking in conjunction with private lending because I guess from my vantage point I see almost three ways. So one, if I personally have my infinite banking policy and I have my own cash value inside of that policy I'm already thinking about owning capital, being the bank, earning interest on this cash, and then how do I use it most effectively to um, not only have it earning the return inside the policy, but how can I also put that those dollars to work in another investment and earn there as well while I'm maintaining some capital reserves just because I want to keep that complete liquidity as well and keep some in cash. Um, So I, I think about if I have my own infinite banking policy, using my policy for private lending. I also think about if I use my policy to extend loans to myself or family members in this idea of family banking, that is essentially private lending. I am being the bank for other people who have a request for capital and that could be for a business loan or it could be for their own real estate investment property. And in that, in that sense, I'm being the private lender for family members who want to access capital. And that might be my own policy or it could be a system of policies that I have within my family. And then you also mentioned if somebody else has an infinite banking policy, you're helping to put their dollars to work through your investments as well. So I would just like to hear from your perspective how you see, that aligning with infinite banking.
2: A few years ago, like I had a lot more. We had about $20 million, uh, that we were funding all the time using other people's money. Um, given the market, I've backed way off of that. There's about four and a half million dollars that I'm funding right now. Part of it is I, I like it simple. I don't like to work that hard. You know, we haven't, we're traveling a ton. And so, um, I've got, I've got, uh, got one person that I'm working with right now out of the group that's got their infinite bank. They're able to borrow money at about five mm-hmm. and a half percent. And, and so I, and this gets a little complicated, but I, I I have a lot of people that are still buying properties and um, they're looking for partners. I don't really like to partner on anything. I don't like partnerships. I like running companies, but I don't really like partnerships. And what that means is somebody will say, Hey, Gary, uh, will you help, fund this particular project. So instead of me being a partner in their LLC on some project, right, where I have some liability, um, what I will end up doing is I will actually come in 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 the form of a loan. But I'm doing a loan in a a very interesting way where I'm getting an interest rate return, a good interest rate. I'm also doing what's called a performance mortgage. Where my performance mortgage, and it's the, in the form of a loan, where I'm getting a piece of the upside. I'm getting a piece of the tax benefit on that particular project, and I'm getting a percentage. Uh, it might be 10%, it might be 30% of the net. But see, I'm doing it in the form of a loan, as a as a form. So I'm doing it in, in, right as a deed of trust, okay. and sometimes. So sometimes on the incident banking system. I'll have somebody that's able to borrow five and a half percent and they're looking for eight and a half percent. I may be getting eight and a half percent on this project, but I'm also getting a piece of the upside. So I'll go in and I will work together with this incident banking system. That's getting their rate of return. Um, my spread is actually on the percentage upside on the prop on mm. the, the project. So um, it's literally making money out of thin air. So I have somebody else that has a pension, a doctor that has a pension, and he's made a ton of money. A very well-known surgeon out of Chicago who's now retired, and probably yeah, probably a million dollars of his money that's always working, and he he's always looking for about a five and a half percent return. So sometimes you know I'm funding a little bit bigger of a project, and I'll put some of my own money and then I'll end up piggybacking with, with his money. And then I'm getting a, you know, I'll get my eight and a half percent return on my money, but I'm also getting a 3% return on all the money that he puts up. So if you mm-hmm. run the math, a million dollars, a million dollars that's out and I'm getting a 3% return is pretty good. Almost yeah, 3000 so, bucks, twenty twenty five hundred a month.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's, uh, let me clarify a few things. Cause, uh, Gary was throwing around some numbers here for our listeners. So, a lot of people, if you're not if you're not involved or understand infinite banking yet, you might be saying, "Well, Gary, that doesn't make any sense. Why are they Why are they borrowing at five and a half percent and then getting a hard money loan at eight and a half percent? That's only a That's only a three uh, percent arbitrage. Well, we could actually." Uh, if you do the math, it's more like a sixty percent increase because three and a half percent on five and a half percent. But that's near, neither here nor there, because the alternative would be to to take money out of your savings account or your checking account that you're not paying an, an interest on, and go do the hard money loan. However, you stop making money on that particular money that you take out of the bank. Now, a lot of people don't even care about that now because. They're getting like 0.0015%. But with the infinite bankings, uh, when you fund the policies, whatever premium you put in, you're earning interest, and historically, you're earning dividends on this. So you're not really borrowing your money. Your money stays in the contract, earning interest and dividends. And then you're borrowing from the cash reserves by contract from the insurance company, so the, your access to capital really isn't 5.5%. It's the difference between what you're making and what you're accessing to capital. And in some cases, it's still positive. And in some cases, it's very, very small, less than 1% access to capital. So that is the reason why people uh, actually like to use the infinite banking system with a, with a whole life insurance contract because they're getting multiple benefits within that contract. And it's not really that they're accessing it at five and a half percent and only making it eight, eight and a half percent. They're actually accessing it at five and a half percent but still getting paid interest and dividends. So it's almost a wash. And in some contracts, if you have the money in there long enough, it is a wash. Uh, By contract, they say you borrow at the same amount that you're actually making. So it is a complete wash in that situation.
1: And to even add on top of that, the whole point of being able to use infinite banking to you to put capital to work is that you're getting the uninterrupted compound interest and Bruce, you did say that. I just wanted to rehighlight the fact that you're not stopping the growth on your cash that's inside the life insurance policy
3: mm-hmm.
1: So, Gary, I think what's really interesting about this conversation is that it starts, the starting point for being able to do private lending or infinite banking is really the same starting point. And it's being able to think like the bank. And I know you shared in your own terms what those rules of the bank are, but we talk about that as being the rules of the bank. They always want as much capital as often as possible. They want to give it back to you as as little as possible in as small of chunks as possible. And then they're going to get all of these great benefits. They not only get their earning interest, They're making cash flow. They're the ones that are able to do the arbitrage. They're not just being the bank. They're getting all of these tremendous benefits. And by the way, they're taking a tiny bit of risk. Their risk is very small compared to what the people who are customers of the bank are taking. And so if you think about that position of saying, well, let me analyze the banking function. And then instead of shunning it, as we were talking about before the show, and shaming them or saying, hey, why are they just taking all of my money? Instead, let's step into being the banker and say, how can I operationalize? How can I model? How can I use these principles in my own life? And that opens up the ideas for things like private lending and infinite banking, which can then be put into a family economy that continues not just for today, but also for future generations as you're able to then use capital, have other people contribute to this source of capital, leverage from that source of capital and have that capital continue to expand and be passed down through the generations. And so I think we probably need a whole nother conversation to be able to unpack that a little bit more with the family economy. So there'll be a next time.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just spending a few minutes on the family economy, I just, this has been a big one for us. Um, especially with everything that's going on in the world, right? In terms of like, where are things going? I've got kids. I've got two daughters. I've got a 17 year old and a 22 year old. And, you know, they're the 22 year old just graduated from college. He has a huge heart for the service industry uh, to serve. She was originally thinking of nursing and uh, or midwifery, Mm
3: -hmm. but she
2: just has this huge heart, but there's not, it's not a huge money-making profession. And um, and so she's like, Dad, I, and, and so she's like, I really want to go do this, but there's not a lot of money around it. And it's like, so she knows that real estate has been a vehicle. And so she knows that I've always told her, I'm like, you know, Haley, find something that you're passionate about and that you're uniquely gifted. And, mm-hmm. you know, because then it's not really a job. And it doesn't matter if you just look at people, artists, right? there's like professional artists that made a fortune. And I think that it's more like a lot of people, like the way I was trained was go work hard, get an engineering degree and, um, you know, or a law degree or become a doctor. And I believe it's more around passion and what you're gifted at and then use real estate. Right. And um, as the economy. So she's like, well, dad, how do I do it? How would I actually do it? Cause I don't have any money. And I'm like, you know that's where the family economy is it's like we've got more of the resources he's got the skill so as an example we're we closed on a property um it's an airbnb he is uh she's learned the whole process She is um involved we're having some work done to it we're having right like literally right now i'm i'm in california I'm, I'm in houston um they're in california and they're you know, have, having some painters come in right now and some floor coverings. And so she's driving and project managing and then she's going to be project, you know, she's going to be running the Airbnb. And she'll learn that and she'll get good at it, right? Um, we've got two more projects right behind it that so she's going to do it. She gets paid with the goal of her on the next property is she's going to be part owner. So, right, so we can actually participate instead of just giving her money, it will be partners with her with the goal of over the next seven years, she'll acquire five properties. So for passive income, right? Mm-hmm. So her wealth building, her wealth building will be off of the real estate, so that 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 she knows that that's right. As an example, she's young, she's not married yet. She knows that one of the properties she'll end up will end up getting, she'll end up being the property manager with other, you know, friends of hers, right? To get her her rent will actually be zero. Will be the goal and she'll rent out rooms to friends and then build up more equity, et cetera, so that she can then as soon as she's married or what have you, then she can go on and do it again. So we've mapped yep. out a whole plan together. And that's that, So that's that's one example. I have another daughter who she's the 17 year old and she has this huge desire for social media. She's really active. She loves TikTok. And so she's involved in our business doing a lot of social media. And it's like a closed loop system, right? You look at the banking families, right? They actually have always worked together in their closed loop system. It's like how can we do that and combine the resources? I'd rather have the money go to my daughters,
3: mm-hmm. right?
2: Um, than outside. I also have my in laws. Um uh, my in laws have been they're like the millionaire next door. They've I don't think my father-in-law's ever made more than seventy thousand, and they've got millions of dollars. They've had rental properties. He was a general contractor. They're older now; they're seventy-five, and they're part of our family economy. So, as an example, where we just we you know we bought the uh, the Airbnb, and we wanted it free and clear. We didn't want a loan on it, so we each came in as partners, and we you know I we just divided up you know who's going to be doing you know, what pieces of the pie. And um, and so my daughter's actually getting paid right out of the project. Uh, we're using our capital and we get this one working. We'll go on to the next. A lot of times I'll do loans and I'll call up my father-in-law and say, hey, Jim, I've got a $250,000 loan. I'm going to fund this. And um, are you interested? And so he's probably got a million and a half dollars out doing private lending and they, they don't do anything, right? They basically And I could take a spread, so a lot of us could take a spread. I don't do it with my in-laws. We just come in, and we're you know, like we're funding a two hundred fifty thousand dollar loan. I'll put up one hundred and twenty-five. They put up one hundred and twenty-five, and it allows us to just you know be a little bit um, uh, more diverse in our investments. So I, I would rather loan on three properties than one just because it reduces my risk.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I love doing that. Um, I'll give you another example. We're getting ready, we're looking for a new primary residence because we were, we were gonna leave California, but we ended up finding we're up by Yosemite. And so we're looking for a property somewhere between three and 10 acres and, and we want it free and clear. So I could go in and say, let's just use round math. I could go in and use a million dollars of my capital to go buy this property right, free and clear, um, but my in-laws, they have the capital as well, they want the fixed income. So I, what we've, you know, and I can get eight and a half percent on my money, so what we've discussed is, hey, what if we put up 600,000 on a primary residence, you'll put up 400,000, and, uh, and they'll be the bank, right? So they'll get the interest only on the loan, and since it's part of the family, we don't have to. They don't get a 1099. So if they're looking for a particular return, our interest rate that we'll be paying them is a lot lower because we're making a payment to our in-laws on our family. It's tax-free for them. So they get the benefit. We, I still get my eight and a half percent interest right on my on my capital of four hundred thousand. You know, if I'm throwing a lot of numbers out. So I'm getting eight and a half percent. They're getting. So I'm getting a 3% spread by just using the family economy. So anyway, that's, that's really, that's how we're thinking. It's all of how can we use our resources uh, within our family um, together? I've got a nephew here as an example. I'm not a big crypto fan, but he's a huge crypto. He's a young kid. He's a mechanical engineer finishing up at Texas A&M and he loves crypto and investing. I was chatting with him this morning and said, Hey, how would you like to partner and go and teach me and go tell me the types of investments around crypto that you like? And why don't I fund a project and you can get a percentage of the profit uh, on the investment, right? So we're keeping it in the family. I'm getting what I want. I'm getting good investments. I'm getting somebody that's going to teach me a lot more around crypto and um, and we have some fun together. So that's that's kind of our concept of the family economy of keeping it inside. Um, So the money is exchanging hands as opposed to going to somebody else that we also have to pay taxes on. Right. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, Gary, I think, uh, and again, I I'm just so fascinated that you're using this concept. And part of it is that this idea that not only are you investing in your family financially, but there's this knowledge investment that's happening. You're Investing in developing your daughter's knowledge of real estate investing, and you're being invested in by getting your knowledge developed in this area of crypto, and you're sharing knowledge, you're developing people, which is the real thing that matters. That's the real legacy. I mean, it's really not the money, the money facilitates all this other investment and development in the relationships and in the skill set and expanding the capacity of the people in your family. And I just think this is a beautiful way of using money to drive that stewardship and development. And, uh, so I'm, I'm super passionate about this idea and I really love that you are modeling this really well in your family. We do have to wrap here. But I just, I love talking to you, Gary. I love your heart for just continuing to grow and get knowledge and wisdom out into the world and then just be able to continue growing what you're doing as an investor as well. So thank you so, so very much for joining us on the show. Tell us how we can find you, how our listeners can connect with you directly if they want more information about private lending or anything with the um, REI. Let me make sure I'm saying it right. com. How can they find you?
2: Yeah. So... uh I love I love you guys. Bruce and Rachel, you guys are awesome. And thank you for hopefully um this is great for all of your listeners. And I gave you some nuggets to, you know, do some great things, especially in this COVID world. Uh, I run a real a company called realestateinvestor.com. We're the largest marketer in the real estate niche. Um, I have a particular thing. I I'm I'm very close to releasing my new book called The Freedom Code that is really all about this. It's a faith-based book. But I wanted it as a, a disruptor in the industry around the new economy. And um, and it is uh, something I'm super passionate about. I'd love to get all of your listeners a free copy when it comes out. And um, I've got a bunch of other tools around real estate. And I got an hour and a half presentation on how to build a business that works for you. Because I think a lot of people get lost in real estate. It's very easy. Uh, where People come in for financial freedom and, and a life. And then they get stuck creating a job. And I think there's the right way to do it, but a lot of booby traps. And um, that's on there with a lot of tools. So that website that you can go to and get the copy of the book when it comes out here shortly is realestateinvestor.com forward slash growth. And um and it's you know, we've got tons of tools. I have a podcast that's been running for a long time on this topic for about four years. And that's called the Real Estate Investor Huddle. And you can find that going to realestateinvestor.com or you can find us on iTunes. I will be here in probably about six weeks. We're going to launch a brand new podcast called The Freedom Code. And it's going to be completely on how to actually survive and thrive in this market that is going, that is COVID, right? And how do we actually participate in a positive way um, with everything that's going around us. And so I'm going to be bringing in a lot of speakers that should be l- launching. So you'll, you'll be on the distribution list if you go out to that realestateinvestor.com forward slash growth. And as soon as we launch that, you'll be invited and love to have, uh, love to have you all participate. I'm sure I'll be inviting you guys as well because the infinite banking is a huge component of the overall plan for the freedom code.
1: Gary, yeah, that's absolutely awesome. And thank you so much for the good work that you're doing. And I, I'm just pleased to know you and to be able to continue to collaborate. And thank you for uh, being on our show twice. We were on your show at least, at least once so far. And thank you so much just for continuing to do good work and to provide that value. Um, so please go over to realestateinvestor.com slash growth with a TH at the end. Just want to make sure we have that word correct. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for all the comments. Um, We have a lot of people saying uh, good morning and this is great information uh, specifically on YouTube this time. So thank you so much, Gary. We will see you next time. In closing, everyone, remember success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside.
0: Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com.